0: I want to talk about the way I knew our six murdered comrades, because the fascist pig media has, of course, been painting a typically distorted picture of these beautiful sisters and brothers. Finn Q loved the people with tenderness and respect. He helped me see that it's not how long we live that's important, it's how we live. Jelena was beautiful. She exploded with the desire to kill the pig. She taught me how to fight the enemy within through her constant struggle with bourgeois conditioning. Gabi practiced until her shotgun was an extension of her right and left arms. She taught me the patience and discipline necessary for survival and victory. Zoya, female gorilla, perfect love and perfect hate reflected in stone-cold eyes. Kaisa was a beautiful sister who taught me to shoot first and make sure the pig is dead before splitting, and I'll always love her. Kujo was the gentlest, most beautiful man I've ever known. Neither Kujo or I had ever loved an individual the way we loved each other. Our relationship's foundation was our commitment to the struggle and our love for the people. It's because of this that I still feel strong and determined to fight. Our comrades didn't die in vain. The pig lies about the advisability of surrender have only made me more determined. I renounced my class privilege when Sin and Kujou gave me the name Tanya. While I have no death wish, I have never been afraid of death. For this reason, the brainwashed duress theory of the pig hearsts has always amused me. Life is very precious to me, but I have no delusions that going to prison will keep me alive. And I would never choose to live the rest of my life surrounded by pigs like the hearsts. Death to the fascist insect that preys upon the life of the people.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Cults Coffee and Conversation. My name is Carl, and I'm Holly. i would like to welcome you to another wonderful edition of Cults Coffee and Conversation. Uh, we hope you're enjoying our Simeonese Liberation Army podcast. Podcast? Well, not podcast, but episodes. Uh, we hope you do enjoy them, and we'd like to hear your feedback from them. So if you want to leave us some feedback, we'd appreciate it. On our Facebook fan page at Colts Coffee and Conversation. We're also on Instagram at ColtsCoffeeConVo. Of course, we're on Twitter at ColtsCoffeeCon1. That Con ColtsCoffeeCon1. And, of course, we do have our wonderful email at Convo at gmail.com. And we also do have the voice memo.
2: Yes, we do. Get a voice memo from your uh, smartphone. And record something and then send it off to cultscoffeeconvo at gmail.com. Mm. And if you are listening on Anchor, they actually have a little button where you can push, you can record a message and then send it off to us.
1: Beautiful. And we also can be reached not only on Anchor, we are now also on iHeartRadio. Thank yes, you very we much. Are. Yes, we're expanding.
2: We have, I uh, think, 10 platforms that we're on.
1: Beautiful. Love it. Alrighty. Now, of course, we do have one more thing to cover before we get into the Simeonese Liberation Army. And that is, we are just normal, regular people. It's our disclaimer, folks. That's right. We have to do it. It's for entertainment purposes only. We are a standard oral people who have everyday jobs. This is our opinions based on what we've seen and we've done the research, folks. So it's pretty darn accurate, to be honest with you. But once again, it's for entertainment purposes only. Alrighty. So you ready to get into this, Holly?
2: Well, we have one more thing to do. We oh, that's
1: right. We're about to ready talk about our colts and have conversations about that, but we need to talk about our coffee. Yes. All righty, Holly. What are you having today? Well,
2: today I'm switching it up to an iced coffee.
1: Ooh, very nice. And very I don't fancy. have any cream in it. Ooh, straight black and ice. Well, mm. I have a little sweetener. Oh, uh, yes. Okay. I am having a black cup of coffee. Boring. Black. Cup
2: of Pike Place. I think we need uh some extra uh voltage tonight.
1: Oh uh, yes. Probably need jolt cola. <laughs> but this is not Colt's Jolt Cola in conversation. No. So on that note, let's well, go ahead and get let's go ahead and get going. Let's do a real quick recap yes. real quick. Um this is just after the shooting in LA where six members were unfortunately brutally killed or burned alive or possibly one person taking their own lives um they've already cleaned everything up and they've identified the bodies now during this time of course it's all national television it was the first time ever that uh, two separate media outlets decided to share and be nice and uh, one was getting the helicopter feed the other one was getting the radio feed um also this the television was the, feed yeah the television feed and also this was the, during the time that uh This is the bloodiest shootout on American soil.
2: Yes, it was.
1: So this was very history-making on many spectrums. Yes, it was. Many levels. So let's go ahead and get into it.
2: Uh, Well, now, we uh. did leave off where the Harrises and Patricia were in Anaheim. They were in
1: Anaheim across from Disneyland. Mm -hmm. I'm curious on what hotel they stayed at.
2: Well, you know what? I cannot find that information. Uh, I did look. You did try? Yes. Mm. And um, let's go with the carousel.
1: Oh, that's a good old fashioned one, the carousel
2: Well, the reason I like that is because that's where I stayed when I was a child, a first time Disneyland
1: Oh the carousel mm-hmm. but there,
2: it was I remember different. the sandman that was a oh, good one yeah. too. Well, anyway, they popped on the radio, listened to the broadcast, then checked into the the, the
1: clean l- sheets and the the the, the color television yes. and a shower and windows. <laughs>
2: yes. And they watched it go down. Go
1: down in live. Yeah. So anyway, so during this time now Patricia Patricia and, and the Harrises were powerless to do anything to avenge their comrades at this time. Now even though Bill Harris spoke about committing acts of violence, he was really paralyzed. The reality was he was really paralyzed. Now Emily was in a state of grief. Now Patricia doubled down ...on her resolve to get revenge for the deaths of her six SLA uh, members. Now, as it stood at the moment, the SLA had ceased to exist. Now, Ramiro and Little were in San Quentin, and Patricia and the Harrises were on survival mode. Now, after spending the weekend across from the street from Disneyland... The move down to they decided to go down to Costa Mesa and they rented a room for only forty dollars a week. Now on Memorial Day, which is the twenty seventh of May, they drove up to San Francisco in that nineteen sixty four Plymouth Valiant. What a beautiful ride that was! And they (laughs) they (laughs) that they bought after the last carjacking. Now the car barely made it to San Francisco. Now the car needed some repairs, so they pushed it to a service station to be fixed. Now the Harrises had a former neighbor that lived nearby. Now they knocked on the door. The reception that they received was not very warming because the FBI had visited him uh, the day before. He agreed to let them stay in the basement of the uh, apartment building where the coal was once stored. Bill decided that they needed to find a more permanent place, so they packed their duffel bags uh, with the guns and ammunition that they had and boarded a bus to Oakland. Now Emily found an apartment nearby the Panking King House. Tensions were high within the group. Now, Harris's would now feel comfortable leaving uh, Patricia alone in the apartment. There's another problem that they're having is that they were obviously getting low on money. and Of course, morale was really bad. So by June 3rd, what a lovely day that is, (laughs) they were actually down to uh, $20. Here's a question that was raised up, you know, after all was all said and done. Why didn't Patricia, you know, leave uh, once she was left alone? Patricia's answer uh, was that she was afraid of law enforcement more than her hatred of the SLA. Now, do you believe that or not? Eh, eh, eh. I, I don't believe it, but that's just my, my opinion. My opinion. I don't believe it.
2: I think at that moment, she was more afraid of law enforcement than the hatred of the SLA. Whatever that was in her mind at that moment.
1: Right. Okay. Well, once again, you know, Marcus Foss... Since they're back in Oakland, what do they do? They assassinated Marcus Foster. So most uh, leftist groups refuse to have anything to do with the the, the SLA. Now, now, they need a support from somewhere. This was very interesting. That a, a bombing in L.A. office of California Attorney General's office was detected to them from the weather underground. This was encouraging to the SLA, but they did not help them in the day-to-day business of survival. Unbeknown to the SLA members, there was a rally of was a commemoration and support in a park near the Berkeley campus. Here we go, Berkeley. About 400 people were there. Kathy Celaya, who was a friend of Angela Atwood, spoke at the rally. They were in a play together and worked at the club. Uh, Celaya uh, memorized her friend and the entire SLA uh, members who lost their lives in, in the L.A. shootout. She had a message for Bill and Emily and Patricia. SLA soldiers, although I know it's not necessary to stay, I'm sorry, necessary to say, keep fighting, I'm with you, and we, we are with you, I am a soldier of the SLA. So there you go, there's a nice little little opening, uh, so that, so Bill, of course, reached out with Emily and Patricia.
2: Yes, uh, this opened the door for help. Yeah. So the quick background on Kathy Celaya, she was 27 years old, raised in Minnesota. Her family moved to Palmdale in her childhood. She belonged to the high school prep pep squad but loved acting. Attending UC Santa Barbara, she met Jim Kilgore. In the early 1970s, Kathy, Jim, and Kathy's brother, Steve, lived together and formed a cell. It was not formalized, but they called it the Revolutionary Army.
1: How original.
2: The said. They set off explosives after hours in locations of symbolic nature. Hmm. Through this activity, Kathy met Angela Atwood, which in turn connected her to the SLA. Emily Harris still had Kathy Celaya's address. After making contact with Kathy at her workplace, they planned to meet up that evening at a local drive-in theater in Oakland. Kathy brought her boyfriend, Jim Kilgore, and gave them $1,500 from her younger sister, Joe's, bank account. Bill Harris was put back into action after this meeting. He requested a tape recorder from Kathy, which she delivered. Bill recorded a communique, which could be delivered to a local radio station. He wanted the world to know the SLA was still in business and had others standing by for action. Patricia also recorded her own message, eulogizing her fallen comrades. And that's what we played at the beginning of this podcast. Mm -hmm. The tape was delivered to a radio station in Santa Barbara, KPFK, and played June 7th. With the group consisting now of Bill, Emily, Patricia, Kathy, Jim, and Kathy's brother, Steve, they knew staying in the Bay Area was risking arrest or death. The decision was made they need they needed to get out of the area fortunately Steve Celaya was contacted by someone who was willing to help them escape the area to a possible new life
1: right now this is where a, a new uh, character comes into play here and his name is Jack Scott now a little background before uh, Jack Scott born in 1942 and raised in Scranton Pennsylvania He was a a star football player in high school. He was offered scholarships to Villanova and Stanford, attending a year at each school. Now, unfortunately, a foot injury ended his college football career and, of course, his scholarships. Jack was able to complete college education over at Syracuse University. He established the Institute for the Study of Sport and Society. The aim of the institution was to bring light to the exploitation of athletes in the college and pro systems now he these were the following problems that that he noticed now the authority of the coaches racism a medical treatment of athletes drug use and violence against women now in 1970 he helped write a book by dave uh and it was called the out of their league book Mm -hmm. which spoke about an insider's account to the nfl abuses now in 1972 While living in Berkeley, he was writing about sports for an underground newspaper in San Francisco. Now, Jack Scott made enemies with people that he wanted to. One was Sparrow Agnew, who was the vice president of the United States at this time. He he denounced Scott's criticism of pro sports. Now, Bill Walton, who was a center for for UCLA basketball... And at the time, he was the best college basketball player in the land, uh, came down to see him. Down the road, for some strange reason, they became friends. It's weird. But in Berkeley, Jack Scott was associated with Kathy Celaya, which her boyfriend was Jim Kilgore, and also Willie Brandt and uh, Wendy uh, Yoshimura. They were the Revolutionary Army, a cell that was making bombs and blowing up buildings. Starting in 1972, Jack Scott took a position... As an athletic director in uh, Oberlin College for about two years. This contract ended when he left learning that the president was dismissed. He and his wife moved to New York to start the institute again. But by this time, the news of the SLA intrigued him so much, he wanted to write a book about the group. The only way to do that was to go back to Berkeley and make contact with people who could help him make contact with them. This is where we... Pick back up with uh, Kathy Celaya.
2: Okay, so I will go into her. Mm -hmm. Jack Scott had asked her if she knew anyone who knew how to get in touch with the remaining members of the SLA. Mm. Saying she would think about it, Kathy called him back saying she knew of people who were close to the people killed in Los Angeles. Picking him up with her boyfriend, Jim Kilgore, they drove Jack Scott blindfolded to a North Berkeley apartment When the blindfold came off, he was looking into the eyes of Bill and Emily Harris and Patricia Hurst. They were in full military battle gear with weapons, ammunition, and military clothing. Bill Harris introduced them as Tanya, Yolanda, and General Tico. Jack Scott realized he was in a position to help them, plus get the story he was looking for. He asked them to tell him their story. Bill Harris said they needed a journalist like they needed a hole in the head. Hmm. What they really needed was to get out of the area and was told Scott was the kind of guy who could help them. Now, Scott helped Wendy Yoshimura leave town after her boyfriend, Willie Brandt, was arrested. We'll get to her at a later time. Jack Scott presented a plan. He had a rented farm outside of Scranton, Pennsylvania, where they could stay. Hmm. A non-negotiable condition, though, would be that they had to disarm. At this point, Patricia vehemently said no. It took all night to convince her to agree to this term. He would have his parents, John and Lou, drive Patricia with him across country with cover as being husband and wife. His maternal grandfather was a founder of the Irish Republican Army. Mm. Emily would drive cross-country with a radicalized track and field athlete who was sympathetic. Jack Scott would fly back to the Bay Area and drive Bill Bill Harris to Pennsylvania. Now, John and Lou Scott were willing to take Patricia to Pennsylvania, but felt they could persuade her away from the others to return to her parents. Jack was willing to honor that decision if Patricia decided to return home. When John and Lou came to the apartment to pick up Patricia, Jack pulled Bill Harris aside and let him know that they were going to offer to take Patricia home. Bill said it was fine with him. He said the situation was like ransom of Red Chief. Hmm. That referred to a story of two men kidnapping a child who was so spoiled and difficult they ended up paying the father of the child to take him back. <laughs> when everyone was in the car, they made the offer to Patricia to take her home to her parents or anywhere she wanted to go. Patricia let them know in no uncertain terms, take me where you're supposed to or you'll be dead, not just me. Then they headed to the Interstate eighty.
1: All righty. So they're, now they're going over to the farm. Now, over the course of the trip, Lou Scott was able to bond with Patricia. Now, she encouraged her to return to her parents. Patricia was adamant she would never return to that life and say to that she was an urban guerrilla warrior. To make Lou stop nagging her about returning to her old life, Patricia told us Lou a story That was just that, a story. Patricia said she staged her own kidnapping in order to escape from her parents and her engagement to Stephen Weed. She claimed she bought marijuana from Nancy Ling, and through Nancy, she met DeFreeze. It was DeFreeze who came up with the kidnapping scenario, not revealing this information to the rest of the SLA members. Now, it would allow him to manipulate the group and the public. Now, Lou was shocked by this revelation. Her questions were, weren't you afraid of Stephen would be hurt during the kidnapping? If Stephen was that terrible, why did you get involved with him in the first place? Why didn't you go to your parents about your doubts of the engagement and call it off? Wouldn't that be easier than getting kidnapped? Patricia's answer was this. Steve was a coward and would run away. When in high school, her girlfriend thought that Stephen was a catch, so she wanted to be the one to catch him. She did not want to admit to her parents that they were right about Stephen. They never liked him, so they thought the kidnapping was the way to go. The story Patricia told could not and did not happen. Documents found at the Concord House by the police after the SLA left, showed that Bill Harris looked up Patricia's address in the UC Berkeley directory. Her having Nancy Ling as her weed dealer was possible, but Stephen Weed did most of the buying and the smoking. Arriving in New York City, Mickey, Jack Scott's wife, greeted Patricia and Emily into the apartment on the west side. They felt comfortable with her and staying there while waiting to move to the farm upstate in New York. The Scots had rented it over the summer. Now, Jack flew back to the Bay Area to pick up Bill Harris and drove them all to the farm. Fearing some of the nearby town may recognize the SLA members, Jack Scott brought out a friend of his to babysit them. Her name was Wendy Yoshimura.
2: Now, the farm was something looking like a Norman Rockwell painting. It had a house, a barn, and a windmill. Bill Harris took up his position as the leader and they did exercising and military practice drills. Jack Scott visited the farm once a week. He hung out with them, grilling on the barbecue, swimming and played volleyball. His goal was to interview each of them and write a book. He felt a lot of money could be made publishing the story of these notorious people. Problems were arising within the group. Wendy did not like Bill and resented him for taking his position as General Tico seriously and ordering her around. She did not want to exercise and practice military drills. Bill was angry with Emily because she had hooked up with Phil Schinnick out there on the trip from the Bay Area. Jack Scott was frustrated because he was getting nowhere with the book he was supposed to be writing. He was taking on the expenses of the group with nothing in return. If Patricia would turn herself in, she would get more attention for the causes she wanted to champion and the Harrises could melt into the underground. Patricia reaffirmed her commitment in being an urban guerrilla warrior and a revolutionary. Patricia and Wendy became friends. Wendy educated Patricia in the ideas of feminism. They had long talks and enjoyed each other's company.
1: Now, Bill, of course, he felt the ban of having no weapons was intolerable. He was able to convince Wendy to buy him a BB gun. Now, with that gun, on Bill's mind, technically really wasn't a gun, but they had target practice in the barn. Jack and Mickey Scott were enraged Bill had a BB gun. They considered it a real gun and did not want the noise of the shooting practice around the neighbors to to raise interest. Because of this, Mickey told the group they would have to move. Now, she was able to get another place just over the border of Pennsylvania into New York. This place was a downgrade. It had only one bedroom for the four of them, but they still had their daily drills. Meanwhile, Jack Scott had not gotten any further with the interviews for the book. He decided to go on a different tactic. He would get an outsider, Paul Hawk, a PhD from Brown University who was a friend of his to conduct the interview and tape them. Now, Bill Harris did not like the idea of being recorded. He was considered having his words out into the world could fall into the wrong hands. Instead of having an honest conversation with Dr. Hawk, he took the opportunity to tell the SLA history, a version he made up, to use as propaganda. The professor grew wary and was frustrated with Bill. Now to add to the difficulty, Bill Harris insisted that the tapes stay with him on the farm so the SLA members could transcribe them and edit them. This was to further ensure Bill Harris' version of their agenda was published. The interviews were edited so much in the transcripts that they became fabrication. Needless to say, the book project was a failure. Bill Harris was was getting more and more paranoid. He raised the question, would they have to kill Jack Scott because they knew too much? Well, he, well, everyone pretty much in his little, little family there knew too much. Now, Bill ended up destroying the tape recordings, All that survived were some of the transcriptions.
2: Jack Scott was pretty much done with the SLA comrades. He was running out of money, and the book deal was not materializing. Also, he and his wife were invited to move to Portland, Oregon, by his friend Bill Walton, who had been drafted by the Trailblazers. It was time to wrap it up before heading out west. The Scots gave the SLA notice to leave the New York farm. The excuse was the rental agreement was over. Bill and Emily suggested they move back to Pennsylvania but Mickey Scott said that the farm had been sold. Emily was suspicious of that information so she called as a prospective buyer and was told the farm was not for sale. Though their relationship with the Scots was strained the SLA members moved back to Pennsylvania. The group realized They were stuck on the East Coast with no one to help them out since the relationship with the Scots was over. Not able to recruit new people or raise money, they reached out to Kathy, Celaya, and Jim Kilgore in Berkeley. The risk was high returning to the Bay Area, but they felt they had no choice. Using a payphone near the farm, Emily spoke with uh, Kathy and Jim. They told the group to come to Sacramento, California.
1: And there we go. So back and forth from east to west, west to east. Nice little plot there trying to get a book deal and pretty much got uh, screwed. Yes. Well, wow. Interesting. So the plot pretty much thickens as far as survival goes, doesn't it?
2: Yes. And uh, they were totally out of the headlines at that point. No one knew where they were. Right. But I guess, you know, they, they really wanted to... Go forward with their agenda, especially Bill.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Bill Bill seems to be very determined.
2: And also Patricia.
1: Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. It's just funny how it actually all turns out in the end. But uh, anyway, on that note, we hope you enjoyed it. I know it was a little bit more informational than excitement about shootouts and stuff, but it's part of the bridge in the gap, guys, because the next episode will be the last episode of the SLA. So anyway, like we said, let us know uh, how you feel. Please give us feedback. We need feedback. I'm begging for feedback, please. Uh, If you give us feedback, that would be great. Just let us know. Give us a little word of encouragement. That would be nice as well. And if it's negative, I'm still reading it. I'm just letting you know. Anyway, on that note, good night, Holly.
2: Good night, Carl.